one of the first projects I did was for two ladies whose mom had passed away and they inherited the house and the house hadn't been maintained in a while. And so the backyard was just like horrid, horrid mess. And so I drop a bunch of goats off in their chain link backyard and they sat out in the backyard on lawn chairs for like eight hours and watch the goats. And all they, the only time they moved was to go inside, use the restroom and like get another drink. It, and they just asked questions for like eight solid hours. It was so much fun. Welcome to Choosing to Farm, a podcast for first and returning generation livestock farmers and ranchers to share their stories, find connection, and provide insight into the life of farmers who didn't take the traditional path. I'm your host, Jen Colby. Folks, this is Jen. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you like the show, please do subscribe and share it with your friends. It's easy to do from your phone by hitting the little forward arrow, especially if there's a conversation that particularly strikes you as something a friend or a family member would or should hear. Uh, this episode might be a perfect reason to forward the podcast to them and keep growing our Choosing to Farm community. So thank you for doing that in advance. Today's episode, um, Margaret Chamas is a farmer, a former extension person, um, a service provider, and a Goats on the Go affiliate who is located not far from Kansas City. Um, goats were her entry animal as a 4-H kid back in the day. Even though she didn't grow up on a farm, that spark ignited this whole life and career in agriculture. And um, so this is the first of two parts. We had such a good time talking and she was telling such great stories and making me laugh that I decided to split us into two episodes. So I, I hope you'll enjoy both. Um, in our first section, Margaret talks about how she got started and the mechanics of how a Goats on the Go affiliate ship works and some reality checks of, you know, what we think we can do in January compared to what we can really do in May. Um, there's a lot. We had a great time and I hope that you enjoy Margaret Chamas. I'm Margaret Chamas. Um, I own and run Storm Dancer Farm and Goats on the Go KCMO, it, just a bit north of Kansas City, Missouri. I'm originally a New Yorker, though, um, and not not at all a farmer. So I was about early grade school, five, six years old, and went to a teaching farm for a field trip, and they had goats, because goats are, you know, probably the easiest thing to throw on a farm and engage kids, because they're friendly and, and inquisitive and all that, and so I, and then also my little sister, um, fell in love with the goats and decided that we wanted to be farmers, um, and I don't even know how many generations our family is removed from the farm, um, but my dad's, dad was an IBMer, my mom was trained as an anthropologist and was a stay-at-home mom, and so my parents are like, okay, cute kids, so whatever, you want farmers. Um, and not knowing what else to do, they signed us up for 4-H, and we happened to be in a county with an extremely strong 4-H program with extremely amazing volunteers and families involved. And so for the next few years, we borrowed goats, we helped out with other people's goats, we got engaged, and we kept loving it even though we didn't have our own livestock. So eventually my parents up and moved. We sold our house in, in 
you know, a town of about 20, 30,000 people. And we moved uh, to the next town or two over where we had seven whole acres of land. And we were like, oh my God, we are like kings, kings, I tell you. Because um, we had, I mean, we were always outdoorsy kids. So now we had, we could go hike in our own woods and we could have goats and we could have chickens. And so it was, it was really, really cool. Um, and it wasn't until many years later when I had an hour long commute for work that I realized what my dad put up with because he gave him an hour long commute to work through like, so we live, um, or my, I grew up about an hour and a half north of New York City, like where the train stops up from New York City. And so we were in like peak urban sprawl everyone wanted their like weekend home in the country and then they'd commute down to the city so he had to deal with going south through a lot of that to get to work and so I never quite appreciated what he gave up <laughs> to give us that opportunity but yeah anyway we we got goats um and had a, a very fulfilling 4-H career and I went full farm kid after that went to college went to Cornell for animal science um started doing a lot of beef cattle related stuff um went to graduate school at Iowa State, which is what got me out in the Midwest. And, and I met my husband, oh, right when I was finishing up at Iowa State, right before I took a job with Practical Farmers of Iowa. And so since then, it's been, he's from the Midwest. So that's where we ended up staying near his family. Um, and I found myself farming. It wasn't really part of the original plan. Um, but after you know, I had to move move on from PFI when I moved down to Missouri because it's, you know, an Iowa-based organization. It's kind of hard to, to run from a different state um, or, or participate in. Yeah. Um, spent a few years doing some work at an agritourism farm. And I had a few dairy goats, like this nostalgia, you know, just to have a little hobby. Um, and, and then eventually started working with extension on the Kansas side of the state of, of the line. So... It was an hour commute. I was working in a mostly crops county and the schedule just got a bit rough. At the same time, this company called Goats on the Go had started up in Ames, Iowa, and they were recruiting people. So they, they, the, the premise is using goats to do um, targeted grazing, brush and vegetation management with, with goats very naturally. Um, and they were starting to look for affiliates to expand nationwide because they had more demand than they could they could provide. And, and it was too geographically diverse. Um, so I jumped into that and, you know, just so just started buying a ton, a ton of goats. And so in 2018, I went from having like five hobby goats to now I have almost 200 with a few more arriving every day, wow. plus sheep and cows and poultry and rabbits and a couple equines and kind of whatever else strikes my fancy. And I stopped, I, I moved on from an extension in 2020 um to be a full-time farmer and so i am i'm basically the official crazy goat lady of my neighborhood i am i'm that person and i fully embrace it now <laughs> oh i love that well it sounds like you always were like the crazy goat lady like from your childhood even if <laughs> that was goats were your um your your entry animal <laughs> they were uh, in college, for sure, I started going the cattle route, partially because there wasn't as much goat-specific stuff. I mean, there were cattle production courses and dairy production courses and sheep production courses, but no no goats. Um, 
And the, the first farm, like, again, like even going into college, I had like a little bit of an identity crisis because I was an animal science kid. And at the time I was pre-vet, but it's like, okay, I knew I wasn't a real farm kid because I didn't grow up on a farm, but I knew I wasn't quite like the ones who wanted to do puppies and kitties. And so I wasn't sure where I was going to fit in, in animal science. And so it took a while to like suss out where I belonged and kind of through that, I eventually started doing like real farm stuff, like working on a real farm where decisions are made for income reasons and not just like emotions. And I, I love this goat. Um, and that was in the cattle world. And I kind of fell in love with that. And my, my master's research was on um, like high stock density mob grazing. So I, I really dove into the forage and the beef and the soil side um, before and in the end coming back to goats. Wow, you're going to make me pick a direction for conversation from this. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, so I just want to say, like, apparently we are kindred spirits because I, I was across the line, the, the lake at University of Vermont, animal science major, pre-vet, knew that I didn't want to go into dairy, didn't come from a, a farm family, um, and didn't want to do dogs and cats. I was like, so what does that actually mean? Yep. <laughs> um, and for a while, I thought that that was like uh, wild animals. I thought it was like maybe wolf reintroduction or like something that was, um, you know, yeah. outside of, yeah, it was, <laughs> that's hysterical. Um, and and no, as, yeah, as you've, as you've discussed, discussed um, various like parts of your past on the podcast, I'm like, oh yeah, I did that. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what that's like. <laughs> One of the things that I wanted to observe, and I, I feel like, I feel like this happens with me. And since you and I seem to overlap in a lot of things, um, I am curious if this also happens with you too. Do, do you feel like you're in a unique position to, um, inform research because you both understand research and also have this like really on the ground practical experience I mean do you feel like you're in a good position to advise people structuring <laughs> research projects on farms I, I, I really think so and hope so and that's kind of one of my like longer term wants is to dabble toes into that so I don't know if you're familiar with practical farmers of Iowa it's um farmer-led organization and they do a lot of on-farm research so when I worked for them I was in charge of the livestock program so yeah that was when I started there I was fresh out of grad school actually they let me start part-time before I'd defended it was really real they were just amazing people they still are amazing people love that organization um and so I was like fresh with this like super extension mindset here are the rules here are the answers and let's go implement them um and but you know got a real real quick rough lesson in no not at all that's not how it all works um and so yeah it's it was really I really loved working for them because it is there's that scientific analytical bent but it also has to make sense on the ground you know a yes we we try and impress on people that statistical differences are kind of like there's math and there's reasoning behind P minus 0.05, or P is less than 0.05. Um, but if that statistical difference is one bushel per acre, it's really not that meaningful. It's not that useful. Um, and yeah, I'm hoping, I would love in the future to have a system where I could 
do slightly more practical, pragmatic research either on my own or in conjunction with with others. Yeah, I've had just enough work in you know field work and some some experience like I would help write and review some of the field crops and cover crops projects when I was at PFI. I worked doing some nutrient management work when I was at Cornell. So I've got like all these little bits and pieces of things. And so even when I was an extension, I was helping like draft some um, research proposals to do like on farm nutrient loss and measuring organic matter and, you know, things like that. Cause I, I could, I could talk to the soil scientists at the university and also the farmers and be like, okay, soil scientists, I know this is the gold standard for whatever we're doing, but this is totally not practical. Like we cannot get these farmers out to do X, Y, Z. We have these limitations. And for the farmers, I'm like, no, really, this is important that we do it this way because blah, blah, blah stats. Um, so it's, it's been interesting. And I, I hope I've, I hope I was able to make a few little um, impressions that way, bridge that gap a bit more. And I'd love to be able to do that in the future. Yeah. So do you, do you feel like that has informed your farming side too? Not just the, the farm up? But the yes, it, it has. And so far it's, I don't know if I would call it negative. Um, one of my like main and recurring frustrations with farming is that I do most of the daily work on my own. I don't have an employee um, and my husband is ridiculously supportive but it is not his thing and he you know he's willing to help but he does not want to be like regularly relied on for major for like everyday farm things um and so one of my biggest challenges has been that i'll be looking at my system such as it is and in my head i know you could be doing this better there is a better way to do this there's a more responsible way to manage this land there's xyd like all these things that i know intellectually and know even from seeing other people implement it but i can't get it all freaking done um so it's, it's been a bit of a source of frustration. So it's uh, one of my big lessons has been patience and uh, forgiving myself for not getting there yet or not getting there right away. And also a little bit of delegation. Um, actually, I have a high schooler now who, who went, you know, when he's not busy with sports and stuff, he, he wants to be a farmer. And so he comes out and helps with stuff and builds fence and cleans fence lines. And I'm like, I will pay you whatever you want to do this. <laughs> he'll like apologize because he hasn't been out in a week and a half I'm like no 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 you're doing that thing that I hate doing and don't have enough time to do um whatever you're doing you're making it better like <laughs> keep it up please oh. so self-acceptance has been a bit of a part of this just because I know I can and should do better but I can't or I don't feel like I can or I don't know how or I don't it's that's been an adventure <laughs> an emotional adventure I bet it has and I think we have to, whether we're farming on our own or we're, or we're farming like in uh, several of us, I, I feel like we need to be a little kinder to ourselves because the truth is that the work is never, ever done in this world. <laughs> and so, you know, it's not like other things. It's not like other, it's not like other shut your laptop, walk away things. It's not that. Right. Yeah. So if we, if, if we can't forgive ourselves then we're just never going to rest ever. Well, and, and it took away, it still takes away some of the, the joy and appreciation of the lifestyle that I, I have or should have or want to have or imagine having if I can't enjoy even where it is. And that's one I'm still working very hard on. Um, and my husband kind of uh, 
was able to put it in words a bit better. He's, you know, we build a new shed or improve something or work on something. And he, he takes pride and accomplishment in the whole process of doing it. And then having the final product, look, we've made this better. We've improved this. Um, to me for a long time, it's been just like struggling to get my farm to kind of the bare minimum of what I would consider like acceptable in my head. And so there was no pride, no accomplishment because before that I was failing. And so now I was simply not failing now that I've done this thing. Um, and I'm trying really hard to be able to take accomplishment in, in the improvement and the continuous improvement. And, you know, we have, we have struggles with herd health every year, but we're taking pride in the fact that it's a different struggle every year. Like, okay, at least we fixed the next weakest chain link or whatever. So it's, I think it's getting better, but it's still, it's still very much an emotional roller coaster at times. Yeah. So, so let's, can we swing back to, the goats on the go. Um, sure. I am like, so I've heard of this program. I have, I would love it if you, I mean, it's a franchise, right? Like, so do you buy into the franchise? How does, how does it even work? And how did you fall into it? Into doing it? Sure. Fall into it, but you know what I mean? So again, the basis, basic premise is goats eat brush and weeds. They love that stuff. And so we use them to go clear people's properties and whatever. Um, and it's, I think there's like a very small legal difference between an affiliate ship and a franchise. I'm not actually sure, um, but we are considered affiliates, not franchisees. So we are affiliates of Goats on the Go. So I, I do pay a, an affiliate fee every year to be part of it. We get a number of resources based on that. So we get, um, we do get some like equipment discounts. Um, the main thing we get is main things, two big things. One is the fact that they, Goats on the Go has set up a website and they do the SEO and they do all that like Google and, you know, things to make it pop up when people search in like goat rental or goat grazing near me. Um, and every affiliate gets a subpage on that website. So you go onto the Goats on the Go website or a, a customer goes onto the Goats on the Go website and finds a map that has colored blocks where all of our different territories are, you know, because we have an established territory for each person. And they click on that territory and it says, hey, contact Margaret because she's closest to you. And here's the info form and you fill that out. So I've been doing this. This will, We're coming up on my fifth grazing season with goats on the go. And still 90 plus percent of my new customer inquiries come through that website, not my own website, not Facebook, not nothing. So they do all the marketing, a lot of the marketing work for us. Customers do kind of literally fall into your lap. Um, we also get the benefit of a network of people who, who are due before we're considered like fully, uh, full fledged affiliates ready to go launch. And then we get that we have our own Facebook group. We can troubleshoot with each other. People will say, hey, I just scouted a site with X, Y, or Z weed. Do you know if the goats will eat that? And so that resource of each other has been just as useful as anything else. That's awesome. How, how, many, how many affiliates are there? Over 50 now. We are across the u.s one in canada and one in tasmania cool it's neat <laughs> and so how i fell into it was um 
I was in Ames working for Practical Farmers of Iowa when Goats on the Go first started up. They started the affiliate program a year or two after I moved away, but a, a friend of mine was one of the first affiliates to sign on. And so, you know, it's about 2017, late 2017, and I'm frustrated with my job and I'm frustrated that I have like a little hobby farm but it didn't feel real enough to me it wasn't super satisfying and my extension job hours were so long especially with that commute that I was like man I, I, I wasn't loving that I wasn't loving anything and so I'd heard enough about it that I called up my friend and said hey give, give me the lowdown on this is it worth it are you enjoying it is this something you know because is this something that will actually make money? And she said, absolutely. She shared some of her experience with me. And so I was signed on within, I don't know, a couple of weeks after that, I think. Wow. Cool. So, so in the, I'm, I'm like totally intrigued about like, who are, who are your clients? Are they private homeowners? Are they like utilities? Like, yeah. Yes. Who, who are you actually? Yes. I was going to say, are they big parcels, small parcels? <laughs> yes. I, I have done everything from backyards, um, like postage stamp inner city lot backyards. Um, and my largest project is 17 acres of a, a very rare, very specific type of prairie that's only found in certain parts of Missouri and like Nebraska. Um, so yeah, we can, so, and that's a cool, another cool thing about Goats on the Go, as an affiliate rather than a franchisee, yep. we can set our own parameters. So I have a couple hundred goats. I will usually have a few different herds running. And so I'm happy to take on projects of many sizes. Mm -hmm. um, other affiliates have 20 goats. And so they only do small projects because that's what they want to deal with. Some won't go more than an hour from their house. Um, some want to do projects only two or three months out of the year. Uh, we're not told what we have to do, how much we have to charge, anything like that. We're given the tools to establish a sustainable price for our market, our region, our input costs, but nothing is dictated to us. Um, other than you have to have insurance, you have to go to training, and you, you have to use certain brands and types of equipment simply because it's been over and over shown to be like the most reliable. You know, if Goats on the Go is gonna put, let us use their name, they wanna know that there's a certain level of surety behind it that we're, we're doing our due diligence and managing properly. So yeah, I've, I've done, gosh, one of the first projects I did was for two ladies whose mom had passed away and they inherited the house and the house hadn't been maintained in a while. And so the backyard was this like horrid, horrid mess. And so I drop a bunch of goats off in their chain link backyard and they sat out in the backyard on lawn chairs for like eight hours and watched the goats. And all they, the only time they moved was to go inside, use the restroom and like get another drink. It, and they just asked questions for like eight solid hours. It was so much fun. Um, and then I've got a con, you know, my big prairie project is a contract with the Department of Conservation. This is an area they can't get to with machines. They can't pay people enough to go hand cut locust trees off of the super steep prairie, which is also extremely highly erodible. Um, and so goats are kind of an ideal option for them. So they're kind of ground testing it to maybe start using elsewhere in the state. Um, 
And then I get, you know, mid-sized landowners who, a lot of people who moved out from the city to get their few acres of country paradise and then realize that they can't let their kids go play in the timber because it's too full of poison ivy or too many pricker bushes or just, just messy. And that it's, in our area, it's pretty warm and pretty wet. And so things grow explosively. And so they're just like, oh my gosh, we're overwhelmed, but we don't want to use chemicals. We can't burn we don't want to pay someone to mow it all down with a giant machine. So let's bring in goats. It's a much more enjoyable option and also entertains the kids and does it sustainably. And so it checks all those boxes for them of, you know, engaging and enjoyable and fun and eco-friendly and, you know, sustainable. It's, it's a good thing. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) So how big's your territory? I cover about four and a half counties, um, three and a half in Missouri and one in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And I kept one in Kansas, even though it's a bit further from me because I made a few really, I had it for a few years and then I, I made some really good connections with one of the city parks departments. They're, they're gonna bring me back a couple times next year and keep talking about more and more parks they want to manage. Um, so that's been a, a very good very good relationship I didn't want to give up. So even though it's a little bit further out than I would normally want to go, it's highly worth it. Cool. Um, and so as a primarily on your own person, how many groups do you run at a time and how do you manage that? <laughs> Cause you can't be everywhere at once. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, the most I ever had, I had five at one time. Um, that was that was way too much. Um, so last year I stuck to no more than three. That was okay. This year I don't think I'm going to have more than two out at any one time. Eighty um, percent of the time it works okay. Eighty percent of the time I can manage everything because my projects are really varied, but the goats are usually at any given project for on average, say three to five days. And so it's always like, okay, I know these goats are going to need to move tomorrow. So I'll build a bit of extra fence for these other goats today. So I don't have to worry about it. I just need to check on them. Um, but there have been days when the goats all get out all at once. Um, and there's a total of like 80 miles in between them all. So that gets bad. And luckily I have a, again, a very supportive husband. Um, who's willing to help me when I call him up. Um, and I did hire a part-time employee last year who will be continuing with me this year. He's, his own schedule is flexible enough. Like he's got enough of a, a reliable standard job that he doesn't need, need this income, but he's got a background in grazing and environmental management and has a real interest in this kind of side of things. And so he wants to stay engaged with it. So I pay him to do, um, hey, the goats are kind of close to you. Can you go out and make sure that they're all standing the right way up and that the fence still works? Or, hey, can you go build this bit of extra fence, you know, in a fairly simple project? And then sometimes it's, hey, I've, we've got to, you know, we got to catch everybody, do annual vaccinations and hoof trims. Can you come up for, you know, solid six to eight hours of work on the weekend? So he's great for a lot of that work. Hiring a part-time uh, assistant was well worth every bit of of dollars it cost me because it got me a little bit of sanity back yeah and what's your i mean is your is your season you know coming up are you in your season now (laughs) it's coming up so mine i usually start 
on or about May 1. Um, so right now, the grass is green, um, but the trees are not. And so by by May, we should have enough brush and weeds that I can get out there and start some of the... There are some people who specifically want early projects for whatever reason. Um, so we'll start about May 1st, and then I usually continue till sometime in October. Oh, so we have a fairly similar growing season then. Mm-hmm. Elevation-wise, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, or lat- latitude-wise, that's actually what I mean. Yeah, I, th- I'm, I should be a bit south of you latitude-wise. Um, I should have a longer growing season, but again, like our part of it is I can't put the goats out until it's like very green. Um, and part of that is is just um, customer management, customer satisfaction. If, if you put the animals out when it's too early and they eat, okay, there's some green stuff there and they eat all that green stuff and then two weeks later, it's all green again because you know the later blooming things started growing then that doesn't look good so there's I do have to straddle that line between like managing things on an ecological perspective and then managing things on a customer perspective and so especially when I talk to like park systems I'm like okay guys you know you need to we need to have a discussion on whether you want to bring goats in for PR because (laughs) Yep. Then our timing is based around, do you, well, for one of the parks I did last year, um, it actually worked out ecologically and PR wise and everything. Cause they had a, a festival in the fall. They wanted the goats there for the festival. Um, it also fit into their management and it fit in pretty well to management of the, uh, the brush types we were dealing with this year. They've asked for a few different time slots and I had to say like, okay, we can do this one, but it's not going to be as good PR wise. If you're okay with this, yes, it'll probably, it'll be better eco wise, weed management wise, but you're not going to get the same PR benefits you did last time. And so I, I try and I've done this enough that I'm able to have some of that conversation with them too. <laughs> Cause there's been some times when I've told people like for your purposes, I don't think this is going to be good timing because X, Y, Z stuff's going to, you know, something else is going to regrow so quickly. It's going to look like the goats didn't do anything or the goats are going to move through so fast that you won't have, you won't be able to have them over a weekend when families can come visit them. If things like that, it's that ends up having to be part of the equation. So how much of this is, is goat management and how much of this is customer service? <laughs> During the summer, when the goats are out there, it's almost entirely customer service, um, huh. whether that's targeting the vegetation or targeting the, the PR or whatnot. Um, fortunately, I mean, again, we have very diverse brush and weed options. And so it's very rare that I've hit a project where it's not, you know, there's something not good for the goats or there's so much of something they don't want to eat that we lose condition. So it's, while I have kind of um, lines I won't cross in terms of animal welfare, like there's certain types of vegetation where I'm like, hey, this is just not going to be a good match for the goats. And if you can explain to people like this, they can't eat too much of this or they'll get sick. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. if they, if I try and force them to eat this other plant, they don't like it and they're likely to jump the fence and cause all sorts of havoc. Like most people are very understanding. They might be disappointed, but they understand it. Um, but luckily I'd, I've never had to really worry about um, nutrient quality of the feed for the goats because there's so much of it and it is so diverse. We've, we've done well that way. Um, as we get later into the season and some stuff starts to 
the fade, I do think about it a little bit harder. We have some issues. We have some warm season grasses that'll accumulate nitrates after a frost. And so there's been times I've had to, you know, delay a project or once or twice even push a project off to the next spring because it's like, look, this is just not safe. Yeah. Um, but aside from making sure it is safe for the goats, most of my decisions and management are about the the brush or the customer's needs. Wow. So the goats that you're using, are those, are those particular like stage of life? Are you getting, you know, old dry does? Or are you, are you, are you kidding? I'm doing some kidding now. So again, you know, dreams, dreams of mine, but I can't operate on my own without, you know, a farm assistant or something. Um, so in a, in the theoretical world, this could work really nicely. And some people have, have been able to make this work. So you have mostly meat, meat goats. Um, Kiko and Spanish are very popular. Boar crosses are pretty popular. Um, and so you kid in early to mid spring and those does and those kids probably stay on the farm the whole summer or after weeding, you might let the does go on some grazing projects. Um, but most of your grazing power is yearlings. Yearling does who haven't been bred yet, yearling bucks or yearling weathers who are gaining weight to go to market. And so you, the, the year of the year, they are yearlings. Ideally, you've had them rotating on your own farm as kids. So they understand the electric fence. They understand the rules. They don't jump the fence. They're well-behaved. You take them out on grazing projects all summer, you make money. And then at the end of the summer, you breed the does and you sell the weathers. And now you don't have to feed them over the winter. And there's, you know, boom, income. Um, so in theory, that works very, very well. Um, what I've run into is too many, um, it becomes more herd units that I have to manage and I can't, I don't have the time or mental drive to be building more electric fence on my own home pastures after I've spent all day, every day building electric fence on someone else's property. And so my, my post weaning kid management suffered the worst. Mm. And so I'm, I'm only breeding enough does right now that I can kind of just have a few replacement animals every year or have one or two extra butcher weathers because every now and again, you know, I get someone who wants one or I'll turn one into ground and sausage and put it in the freezer for people who they have the goats out and then they're curious about what goat meat's like. And so I sell them a few pounds. So in theory, it can be kind of a whole integrated farm system, but there are other affiliates who especially when they're starting out, they buy cheap dairy weathers from any dairy goat operation. They bottle raise them for a while and then they throw them out on the pastures to graze. And I mean, those boys get tall. So they, they are excellent grazers. Um, other folks, yeah, I don't, a few have tried retired dairy nannies. Um, I don't do that as much. I found that too many dairy goats, even, even if they're not lactating, they just require such a higher plane of nutrition because they're, they're not bred for subsisting their bread for living in a barn and being fed stuff um i mean yep. my own dairy goats are that way it's it's a, it's hard to i have to do a mental shift when i go from one farm to the other because management decisions are totally different um but yeah, people have made a lot of different things work there's there's a lot of of flexibility around it So this year, since I'm not breeding as much, this year I'll mostly be operating. I've got a couple of yearlings from last year. 
Um, and then I've got a lot of now two and three-year-old goats because I didn't sell off my weathers at the end of the year. Um, they're so well-behaved. They almost load themselves on the trailer because <laughs> they're just used to this routine of, okay, we, we go, we eat, we leave. Um, and so they're, they're so good at it. I said, you know what? I'm trying to reduce my labor and my time and my headaches. So I'll keep them. They do a great job. Um, and so they're, you know, these now even bigger two and three-year-old weathers and does, dry does are going to be most of my grazing um, power this year. Oh, totally. <laughs> oh, I love this. Oh, uh, I'm really glad that you brought up the, the dairy dough and the high nutritional needs, even if they're not um, lactating, because I, I have noticed a similar kind of thing where they're just... They're just not acclimated to the job. They're they're like office job animals and not. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I give full credit to my friend Colleen who says this. She's just like that's an excellent analogy. Like you know, neither good nor bad about animals in in a confinement versus a, a grazing situation. But you know, there's like office jobs and there's like outside jobs and yep, and we're we're better fit for one or the other um, often. So. Yeah, I <laughs> I really get that. Yeah, that's um, exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, so so how do you integrate and how do you use your your home farm? How big is your home farm for one? And then how does that integrate with going out to remote places? Um, so we we actually have two farm locations about a mile apart. And so when I think of my home farm, I think of my immediate homestead, which has my hobby dairy goat herd. Um my poultry will be there my rabbits are there and my my two cows are there um my the maybe more real farm is where my grazing herds spend the winter and then you know parts of the summer and fall um and so i you know my day starts with basic chores so again i have a, a hobby show herd of dairy goats and so i'm milking i'm bottle feeding babies i'm you know taking care of my poultry my rabbits and then I go off and check goats at remote sites. And so every day it's, you know, sit in the car for sometimes four to five hours when they're really, really remote. But I go, I check the goats. You know, a lot of times it's just, okay, the fence is on, the goats look fine. Do they have more enough forage to make it through? Yep, okay, uh, they might need fence in a few more days. Um, you know, I start planning the logistics. Okay, how many more days till they have to move to another site? Start informing those people, kind of work through all that. And then I end up back at home. When it works well, I have enough free time to be taking on some side enterprises like the poultry and the rabbits. Um, you know, I did Thanksgiving turkeys last year. I'll do a round or two of broilers. Um, but there are times when there are not enough hours in the day to get everything done. And I end up with broiler chickens that weigh like 30 pounds because I didn't get them butchered on time. Um, and then they all die of heat stress. Right? <laughs> so it's, it's great. If only we had crystal balls and could identify what we uh, actually yeah. have to do in the, in the future, not just today. <laughs> well, so, so here's my problem. Like, so my, my, the winter is my off season. Um, and so like all winter I've been like, it, it definitely deliberately taking time to relax. But on the other hand, I'm like, 
I don't have anything to do right now. Hey, what about I get rabbits? Oh, I'm going to get rabbits. Hey, what about I talk to my friend about putting in a garden? Oh, that sounds cool. And so like all these things where I'm like, I'll totally have time because I have time right now. And now it's all, the, 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 those chickens are coming home to roost right now, man. <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, my milking machine broke over the weekend. It broke like Thursday or Friday afternoon. So I wasn't able to call about it. And I was, my husband wasn't able to take a look at it for a few days. So I was hand milking 10 to 12 does twice a day, plus bottle feeding. I think there's like 15 kids in my basement, plus another like 20 outside. And so for a few days, I was like, oh my, wow. the world is ending, actually <laughs> ending. Um, oh and then it, it actually was like a 30 minute fix after my husband finally had time to look at it but yeah that that kind of that kind of that was a good reminder in that it uh set me back on my butt a little bit and was like okay take this a little bit slower you're you're already heading yourself towards overwhelm and it's not even may yet the goats are still all at home yeah wow i so get that (laughs) so so how how did you guys come to the farm or farms (laughs) that you're at do you do you own them both do you lease them or rent them or how does that work one of each um so the property our house is on we own you know or are paying a hefty mortgage on um and the one the the other location is actually family property that we were allowed to use um so my my husband's parents own it but we're we don't pay you know, one of those, you have to identify your unfair advantages. This is one of our unfair advantages. We pay the utility bills on it and we actually build all the infrastructure on it, but we don't have to pay a mortgage payment on that, which is phenomenal. That's great. That's really great. Are they really, so this, you know, to, to get into like another side topic, um, because I had so many people help me when I was starting out and because I, you know, because I wasn't a real farm kid um, and had to go find those, find people, I was very fortunate to find people who were willing to kind of enter me, even though, and, and let me learn how to be a real farmer and some of those skills that I just didn't get because I grew up on a tiny little hobby operation with like a grand, I think at max we had like six goats milking. Um, but I found some mentors in college who taught me to drive a tractor and think about like herd management down a large scale. And then again, even in 4-H, we had just such wonderful people in our county willing to lend us goats, let us borrow animals, you know, all that sort of thing. So now that's, now I'm trying to pay that back. And so I do have 4-Hers out all the time. I'm working with a friend who doesn't have as many land resources, but who runs a market garden. I'm like, well, put a garden here. We've got, I've got the acreage, you know, I will help you water it. I can't grow plants to save my life, but if you tell me things like water it, I could probably handle that. Um, My high schooler I mentioned, again, he wants to be a farmer. It's hard to do. He's got a potential to take over the family farm a few states away, but I just, I know how hard that is if you don't, if you're, if you don't marry right and don't pick your parents right. And so he and I are talking about running some pigs in my goat building over the summer when the goats are all out on grazing projects. And then he, you know, I can kind of bankroll it. He pays me back for that. And then, but he gets to keep any of the profit just, just to, so he can then go say to say USDA or FSA, you know, Hey, I've managed this farm, this project, like I'm trying to, trying to help set other people up or give them some of the advantages and some of the opportunities I had. 
Yeah. I, do you feel like we have a, a, a different perspective because, <laughs> because, because of having to start from scratch? I, I wonder that sometimes. I think so. It's, I see it both, and, and sometimes it's an advantage and sometimes it's a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, there's some things that I think just come naturally to people who were just raised in the environment of being on a farm. Like this is just, you know, there's just that baked in, built in knowledge that you, they don't even realize that they have necessarily, probably until they run into someone who doesn't have it. Um, on the other hand, it can be limiting because um, I even find this okay. So I, I only within the last handful of years started considering myself a real farmer, um, but I still find myself sometimes being like, "No, this is just the way it's done." When my husband, who's the part-time assistant farmer, has like some idea on how to do X, Y, or Z, and I find myself being like, "No, that's not how it's done." And then I'm like, "Wait, is?" why is there really a reason for that or am i just being pig-headed um <laughs> so it's yeah i think it, it definitely is a different perspective and, and i think sometimes it's very very good and sometimes it's not well so you know the people who started goats on the go were a generation or so removed from the farm and so they they also wanted to have that kind of agrarian lifestyle and eventually and now kind of the idea is we want to let other people have this agrarian lifestyle that you know touches on that kind of romanticized agrarian lifestyle but there you know a lot of people really enjoy it being able to grow your own food support yourself own your own business but they you know they're providing enough structure that you're not floundering by yourself yeah. um and so that and so i think from having not come directly from a very stereotypical farming background they had the they had a bit more of a mental perspective or flexibility to think outside the box. Not that farmers do not think outside the box or not that multi-generation, multi-generational farmers don't think outside the box, that is to say. Um, but I think even those who don't take over family land and start on a new property on their own probably have less implied restrictions. Cause I know there's a lot of like, this is the family land. It is a crop farm, a cattle farm, a whatever. And it takes a lot of guts sometimes to break with that tradition. Um, so whether it's starting a new enterprise, like being the first farmer, or whether it's starting on a new physical property, I think sometimes that's the a nice spark behind some change or innovation. Totally. I'm still back on those implied restrictions. I love that. <laughs> just, just thinking of how many times, well, how many times do we hold ourselves back because of a picture that we have in our head? And like, how much harder does that, is that if you are a person who's growing up on, you know, the place that your grandparents started or your parents started or whatever. And, and they're like, they don't ever have to say anything about you can or cannot do a particular thing. It's just like, you know, it's like in the air, it's in the water. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, oh my gosh. And, and there's simultaneously the beauty of having that legacy and that, that tie to the land. And then the, and then, yeah, that, and I know now, you know, again, when I was in extension, we were talking about the, uh, the farm mental health crisis a lot. That's a lot of pressure 
having that legacy and am I going to be the last generation? Like, I know that was something that was discussed quite a bit. Um, so yeah, it's, there's beauty to it. And I'm, I'm so impressed every time I drive by like one of the, so Missouri at least does like the Farm Bureau or the extension, I can't remember who, maybe both do like the, the Century Farm Awards. And so you'll drive by some of these farmsteads with these, you know, Century Farm signs. And it's like, gosh, I'd love for that to be my farm someday. You know, I, w I hope to make something that can sustain over time and that someone wants to sustain over time. But at the same time, I have to be okay with the fact that someone might not want to. You know, whoever follows after me, they might have a totally different direction for it. I know I've talked to farmers who... Um, their plan when they finally retired from farming was to move like 10 miles away from the farm, close enough to help if needed, but also not close <laughs> enough to see the changes that were being made. So they couldn't, like they knew they would probably stress over it. Um, and so the, their plan was move away, separate from it a little bit and and kind of spare, spare the next generation from that. Again, from any implied right, wrong or indifferent, let, let the next generation make their own choices, let them do what they felt. Yeah. Oh, I have I have some friends who I, I don't think they've closed on the sale yet, but I have I have some friends who just um, uh, they're first generation or at least a returning generation in their case, and they ran a very successful organic dairy. Um, they they paid off the farm. They decided an exit plan. And they and they got out of dairy and they've been farming and now they're actually selling the farm and going on and doing a different thing. And I, I think that one of the wisest things that they have done is they moved from one side of town to the other side of town, like in the sense of <laughs> I'm, we're far enough away that we are mm -hmm. doing a new thing. And this, you know, young, young couple that is buying their farm, they're still available. They, you know, they're very close, but they're not right there because it yes. would be hard. I think it'd be really too hard. Um, oh yeah. You know, that, that one that, you know, like we're going to keep five acres on the, on the hillside so we can look down on the farm. Oh my gosh. No, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster for everyone. <laughs> yep. 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 Oh, and again, God. part of me other times, you know, wishes I had that family backup family knowledge yeah same. oh you gotta you know it, it, yeah it's it's a mix it's a mixed bag a very mixed bag i have this observation that folks who love goats really love goats and oh, we do yeah and there's like no there's occasionally no logic behind it because like i got some hair sheep a couple of years ago hair sheep are amazing they're, they're tough and they're durable and they don't have the same parasite issues goats have and they don't tend to jump over the fence or climb through the fence or tangle themselves in the fence like goats do and they don't have horns so they don't get tangled in the fence <laughs> and they get fat on grass and they grow fast and they're amazing but I cannot and will not ever switch over to just sheep because they're <laughs> sorry guys they're dumb like <laughs> they're not near there are some moments when you look at them they're not, they're not goats. They're not engaging. They're not, they don't have that same personality. Um, and so I will never, ever switch away from goats. You can't replace them, but man, I sure appreciate those sheep. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, we had, we had some goats, uh, 
hang out with us last summer. And um, we had uh, five goats and along with my flock of, you know, 40, 50, whatever number of sheep I had at the time. And um, the goats taught the one or two day old lambs to get out of the fence. Oh, no. I was like, oh, goats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, the first, you know, again, I'm heading in towards grazing season number five. Um, my primary culling decision on the farm has nothing to do with 200% kidding crop or weaning 150% of your birth weight or your body weight or anything like that. It has to do with, are you an asshole and did you climb through the fence or get out? Um, and there, there are entire genetic lines that are gone from my herd. I mean, I spent good money on some of these like high percentage Kiko does that are parasite resistance, blah, 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 blah. Nope. She went over the fence or if all the goats were moving right, she would go left. Yep. They're gone. Um, oh my God. So yeah. Behavior is my number one culling thing. Um, yeah. I'm finally at a point now where, where that's not the number one thing. It's about the number two or three thing, but that, yeah, for a while that was entirely it. Great goat story. This is my favorite goat story. Um, so I worked with an agritourism farm for a while. I, I worked at the farm. I managed the livestock and, and some of the farm tours. Um, and I still work with them on a number of things. I provide, I provide their goats um, for their petting zoo. Um, a couple of years back, they, they wanted an extra friendly goat for the, the petting zoo operation. And so I happened to, I was out shopping for goats of my own, found a cute little bottle baby, adorable black with white or yeah, black and white spotted, sweet, friendly, all, checked all the boxes bought her and I sent Violet over to them. Violet was maybe, oh, she would have been about five months old, six months old at that point. Um, and they called me back that evening and said, hey, she's a fence jumper. She, she's got out of the fence and we can't keep her in. And there's like 500 people here and we can't keep sending someone back to the pen. So we, they actually had to like put her into one of like the back stalls in the barn and actually had to tie her up so she wouldn't just keep like ninja-ing out of the out of the stalls um so anyway violet um eventually simmered down they they bulked up the fence a little bit she started to stay in it all worked well violet came home with me over the winter had a baby turns out she was pregnant when i got her because she must have hopped the fence and gotten herself knocked up before i even bought her um she went back the next spring with her baby. Everything was great. But once he hit like three months exactly, she decided to wean him and she weaned him by jumping the fence and only coming back for dinner. Um, and at first they were a bit concerned about it, but it was fine because it was spring and they had grass around so she could nibble the grass and she had um, plenty of there would be like kids coming around for school tours and that was, it was hot. Sorry about the dogs. Um, Violet would say hi to the kids. She would greet them when they came off the bus and greet them for lunch and she would hang out with them. Um, and it was all fun and games. Well, then came summer and then came early fall and that farm does um, weddings. And so suddenly one day Violet starts appearing in wedding photos and then Violet appears and then Violet's eating a centerpiece. And so I get a very panicked call at like 8 PM on a Saturday night going, can you come pick her up first thing tomorrow morning? Because this bride was okay with it, but the next one might not be. Um, so yeah, 
Violet is now, Violet has never gotten bred on a schedule. Violet has always decided when she wants to get pregnant and decided when she wants to have babies. Um, but she's a phenomenal mom. And now at like, she's like four now, I think. She's finally simmered herself down. It's uh, it's going okay, but man, she is she is probably like the tip top character in my goat book. You're just you're just saying something because <laughs> goats. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> so listening to Margaret, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, listening to Margaret's story, and there's there's a bunch more. We had so much more fun too. Um, I love uh, I love the way that her parents stepped in and um. What, just to think about it, what happens if you're a person who has kids who love farming? Maybe you're not a farmer, but your kids love farming. Um, I just I love the appreciation that she has for her parents and the and the changes that they made um, in their life to help she and her sister be able to um, operate. Um, I also really appreciate that she's been mostly working on this as a solo operator, but um, bringing people with different skill sets and availability in to help her is really smart. I think there's some really important lessons for all of us there. Um, At the beginning of our conversation, Margaret described listening to the podcast as people I'd like to hang out and drink a beer with. (laughs) That so describes what I've been hoping to achieve. It's, It's more of a hanging out feeling than a formal interview. That's totally the goal. I'm so glad that that vibe's coming through. And I hope that it might prompt you, dear listener, to reach out with suggestions for other people we should be hanging out with. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's someone else that you've admired from afar that I could reach out for on your behalf. I am totally open. So if you have thoughts or ideas, please let me know. Uh, we'll finish up with our chat with Margaret next week, but if you'd like to hear the whole interview at once, um, I've added a Choosing to Farm Insiders tier to our Patreon site for folks who would like to get access to some of the full interviews, um, additional chore chats, which I'm, I'm doing a couple times a month, um, and the private Choosing to Farm Facebook group. So if you check that out on patreon.com um, slash choose to farm, and I have the link in the show notes to make it easy too. So speaking of Patreon, um, the Farmer Rancher Success Hub is open. Um, Whether you're already farming or you have an interest in a future farmer ranch or you want to grow your own personal skill sets outside of farming, uh, the Hub is a go-to place for the human side of farm professional development. Every month, um, we're picking a new topic to dive into with a formal session. We're doing some discussions with other folks learning the same things, and we're even doing a monthly book that will take us into a deeper dive on that topic. So I'm really excited about the community that we're already creating, and I hope that it'll just continue to grow and grow as as we support each other in um, all of this work, learning and growing. So the first monthly topic I started with is uh, three tips for better communication. Actually, it ended up being five. I couldn't help myself, but it was three major tips for better communication. If you want to check it out, um, you can jump on the Choosing to Farm website. You can join the mailing list, and I will send you a direct link to that recording, and there's a workbook that goes along with it as well. Um, it's still coming up. We have our discussion still this month and there's, there's still plenty of time, um, to get the book. I totally recommend, um, getting it, you know, an audio book. And then that way we can still work and still learn at the same time and think about it. So as always, thank you so much for supporting the show and I hope you have an awesome week and, um, we'll pick it up with Margaret on the weekend and I'll let Chris Sargent play us out and have a wonderful day. Thanks. Bye, guys.